This is Guns and Butter. The U.S. government had as its best evidence the Dulles video purportedly showing them preparing to board a plane that they said crashed into the Pentagon. All six of these problems, however, combined to undermine the Dulles video's authenticity and corroborate its forgery. It's the flimsiest evidence upon which the entire weight of the official story collapses. No airport security video has appeared for the other flights. Therefore, no evidence exists that any of the so-called hijackers ever boarded planes that crashed on 9-11. I'm Bonnie Faulkner. Today on Guns and Butter, Jay Kolar. Today's show, the 9-11 hijackers that weren't. Jay Kolar is a freelance writer in Lake Havasu City, Arizona. As a film studies instructor, he has taught courses in film analysis and mass media at Lane Community College, the University of Iowa, and the University of California at Los Angeles. His specialization in French film theory, semiotics, and close structuralist analysis of film alerted his critical response to the events of September 11, 2001, forcing him to examine more closely the available 9-11 footage and also subsequent releases of the bin Laden and alleged hijacker Last Will and Testament martyrdom videos. He authored what we now know about the alleged 9-11 hijackers and its update in The Hidden History of 9-11, edited by Paul Zaremka. The Hidden History of 9-11, 2001, first appeared in 2006 as part of the Research in Political Economy series. Newly republished in paperback with updates from the authors, The Hidden History of 9-11 is a compendium of articles by different researchers into various aspects of the September 11th attacks. Today's program, The 9-11 Hijackers That Weren't, was presented at the 2011 Toronto hearings sponsored by the International Center for 9-11 Studies. Jay Kolar presents a detailed analysis of critical video footage pertaining to the conspirators alleged by official U.S. reports to have been solely responsible for the terrorist atrocities of 9-11. Jay Kolar. Well, I want to change that title to the 9-11 hijackers that weren't. I say that because the U.S. government's story, upon close examination of the evidence, of which I'm only going to be able to present a small segment today, reveals an accumulation of flaws distortions, omissions, video forgeries, alterations of the alleged hijackers' timelines, fabricated evidence, planted evidence, substitutions of names and doubles for the alleged, intimidation of eyewitnesses and whistleblowers, and up to now, media blacking out of protected activities of some of the alleged who had deep political connections. Under the weight of all these flaws, the official story collapses. We begin with the FBI's initial list of hijackers, which should have been released concurrently with a flight manifest that were never released after the FBI had quickly confiscated them. The FBI said it had located its suspects from those manifests, not to be mistaken for the passenger lists made available by the airlines, which contained none of the 19 names. But within 24 hours, CNN had acquired this first FBI list from U.S. Customs, and one of the relevant, relevant uh, Customs officials is Robert Bonner but it contained five names. 
a Mosiar Canid on Flight 77, and four others, Adnan Bukhari, Amir Bukhari, Amir Kamfar, and Abdul Rahman Alamari. From the Flight 11 Manifest, names that the FBI dropped and replaced with Walid Anwail al-Sheri, Satam al-Sukami, and Abdul Aziz al-Amari. Logically, that would mean that there should have been, including the, the name of Mohammed Atta on that first Flight 11, who had not been replaced by a substitute, at least nine Arab names from which to choose, but there weren't. Since none of the uh, airline lists, which only contain passengers minus hijacker names, contain any of those Arab names, which were changed by the FBI, uh, were changes the FBI had implemented, therefore tampering with crime scene evidence. It is important to note that reputable documented sources verified that at least nine of the FBI's second and final list of 19, the ones depicted here, were still alive after 9-11, with proof that at least one other, Zia Jarrah, or Jarrah, had his identity doubled. The doubles photo on a US visa, one-third singed by the crash, showing someone who resembled more a young Tom Jones, the singer, I don't know if you're familiar with him, and the real Jarrah's identity therefore fabricated and Jarrah himself framed. Nevertheless, the FBI has refused to make the necessary corrections to exonerate those 10 out of the 19 falsely accused. First, I'm starting with um, the US government's best evidence, which we'll, you will see is actually the worst evidence of hijackers, the Dulles Airport video. Uh, compare that um, the Dulles video still to a Portland Jetport video still on the left. The only other video we have of the alleged aborting planes on 9-11 was the one from the uh, Portland Jetport, where in the frame on the left, Atta and Aziz Alamari proceeded to board a connecting flight, not, not the Flight 11 that crashed. While this disqualifies it as evidence of a flight that crashed, it does show the verifiable airport security data which continues throughout the video's duration. The date, digital ongoing time of day, and the closed circuit TV identification number, which reveals the, the camera's location. All necessary to authenticate an event as well as the video itself. The absence of such data on the still from the Dulles Airport video, on the other hand, which is on the right, is the first of six major problems we have with it. Unlike the, the Portland video, and unlike every other airport surveillance video we've seen, it lacks verifiable authenticity, which can only come from imprinted security data, the date, the digital ongoing clock, and camera number. Researcher Joe Vials in 2004, through his connections, was able to obtain a Dulles Airport package, including outdoor photos of 9-11 Dulles Terminal. There it is. Well, that's not his terminal view, but that's, that's a sample representative of what it looks outside the terminal. Um, I couldn't get the original because uh, his site has been uh, closed down. Okay, uh, Vial's meticulously examined every inch of the Dulles video, blown up over 20 times, but he could find no trace of edited out security data, thus lacking imprinted security data on the entire tape standard for all airport videos, and without evidence to indicate erasure, there is no possibility that the Dulles video is authentic, hence the probability that is a forgery. 
devoid of such security data, both as a security video and as evidence of an event to be used in a court of law, what possible use could this video have? Located at an airport security checkpoint, a security camera that records without imprinting security data is completely suspect. Second, the presence of Salam al-Hazmi and Khalid al-Midhar allegedly preparing to board Flight 77 introduces the second problem. Both he and al-Midhar turned up still alive after 9-11. In al-Midhar's case, one report comes from the FBI itself, which warned all banks to watch for him after 9-11. Quote, on September 19, 2001, the FDIC distributed an official document clearly stating that al-Midhar is alive. As for Salem, he testified for himself that on 9-11 he was working at a Saudi petrochemical complex in Yanbu, Saudi Arabia. A third problem stems from the exterior lighting and shadows covered by Paul Zaremka, following on Vial's research on the exterior views in the Dulles video package he received. A Dulles airport terminal exterior view shows the time would be around midday and not 7.18 a.m. when the hijackers allegedly entered the security checkpoint. The exterior lighting is too bright and the shadows are wrong for an early Washington, D.C. September morning. Okay, this photograph is simply a representative view, a sample, because the, the other is not available at this time from Jovial's uh, closed down website. But this sample exterior Dulles view suffices to show the immediate proximity of roadway just outside with a windowed entrance to the terminal, screen right. In this perspective, the security camera inside the security checkpoint is pointing screen left, which is north, and directly at the mostly windowed wall and entrance in the background. That's the interior. You notice the bright light coming out of the background um, from the windows and the glass door. What I wanted you to notice here is that um, when we roll the video, you'll see one could expect to see some traffic in that background, and uh, we obviously don't. It would be passing from left to right. And uh, that is in the 2006 video release of, or after, that was found in the Misawi trial documents. Anyway, not once does a vehicle pass by in the background, and we're going to watch that in a minute. Absence of any background traffic movement, therefore, also undermines the, the video's authenticity. It took three years for the original um, release of the Dulles Airport video in 2004, and they only showed heavily edited versions of between 57 seconds and 150, well, two and a half minutes in duration out of a possible 22 minutes from first to last alleged hijacker, which is a maximum of only 10% of total duration. Those initial versions have poor grainier resolution than most security videos, due partially to the bright sunshine streaming in, and about twice the brightness expected when facing this northern perspective at 7.18 a.m., Bright backlight tends to wash out the resolution, indicating, also indicating the taping time around noon or so. That is, unless the camera inside the building is not facing north, in which case this could not be Dulles. Either way, the authenticity of this video is undermined. To make uh, viewing even more difficult, viewing even more difficult in the current version we have now from the Musawi trial documents, this is an example. Faces in the 2006 version are smudged out, not digitally, uh, but they are disguised to prevent recognition. Somebody, it looks like somebody took some sort of eraser on the film and just emulsified the, uh, over the faces. Why would the U.S. government prevent its citizens from recognizing both the alleged and other passengers and officials? 
And why in a 2004 original version did they release only 57 seconds to 150 seconds max? In this minuscule Dulles Airport video versions in which 90% of total duration has been deleted and obvious smudging of faces, noticeable as passengers come into focus in a foreground and obfuscate the remaining 10%. When all versions of the Dulles video have been made available in such a parsimonious way, and then only after family members had successfully sued for its release, the resultant effect is one of cover-up, not presentation of evidence. Okay, the fifth problem of the camera movement, of camera movement and visual manipulation, both of which I described in my chapter, which came out in 2006, at which time only the 2004 version, which was heavily edited um, of the Dulles video was available. This heavy editing included cuts or splices, multiple sized views or shots of various sizes, medium shots, close-ups, and two inexplicable establishing long shots but only one you'd expect from a closed circuit TV camera, and also camera movement. Especially this camera movement appears in a, uh, in a shot which lasts 38 seconds in the Court TV 150 second version from 2004, which is follow on action, zoomed in, we, by the way, I, I can't find that version anymore because that site has, has changed and it's no longer available. But there's evidence of, of the changes. Well, in the previous photograph that you saw, there's evidence of changes. You, if you look at the floor stripe, it's moved. So you can see the closed circuit TV camera in the ceiling is in one place at one time and in six to eight feet to the right in another time. You, you didn't notice it. Nobody noticed it when they saw it because of this 38 second slow motion zoomed in close up of the alleged El Midhar walking left to right in, in more of a medium close up in the foreground which intervenes between those two shots. The one shot presented the first two hijackers who arrived, and the last shot showed the other two. Which it's impossible in a, in a purely mechanical operation of a closed circuit TV camera. It betrays human intervention, selection, and exclusion of other passengers not possible in the alleged closed circuit camera the commission tells us we are getting our viewing experience from. It's no longer available uh, from the court TV, TV site, but as I said, the photograms that we have uh, are still happily available. And they reveal, besides the aforementioned evidence, the distinctly two uh, camera setups. Are we then to conclude that there are two airport surveillance cameras embedded in the ceiling? So you can see the, the camera stripe moves. But we don't have any of this in the, in the, the current 2000 released version where they decided to leave all the editing out and just show you one view that was shot from above uh, the center floor line or centered over the floor line. You're listening to writer and film studies instructor Jay Kolar. Today's show, The 9-11 Hijackers That Weren't. I'm Bonnie Faulkner. This is Guns and Butter. Simultaneously with this new second setup after the intervening 38 seconds of uh, El Midhar, another problem has occurred. The 150-second Court TV version, which temporarily the longest of the 2004 version, has somehow neglected to include anyone showing up as the pilot hajur, in quotes, between the arrival of the two duos. In the shortest uh, version, ironically, the 57-second one, there is a very brief glimpse of a man 
but he's not Hanjour. He looks like the man in the photo on your left, the dark clove man. The overall difficulty in viewing these versions made available to the public is that they contain only a mere fraction of the approximately 22 minutes of this Dulles footage that's going by the commissions, uh, noting that the time of arrival of the first alleged hijackers, the pair, and the, and the uh, arrival of the last pair. The darkly dressed, fully bearded, heavier set mystery man in the 2004 Dulles video, small version, appears starring in the role of Hanjour. The one on the right is the more recent version. Suddenly he appears, appears in the uh, Musawi trial documents. But that's still not him, okay? The man on the left in dark, who doesn't look like him at all, was, uh, he was designated as Hanjour in all of the associate in all of the Associated Press releases, which received their information from the government, accompanied by the Dallas video premiere on July 22, 2004. So with the more recent 2006 uh, version um, came the debut of this new improved poster. And the reason I'm saying that, if you take a close look at his head, he's got some hair up there, right? Uh, or maybe he's just wearing a toupee. Next, there we go. That is the, the real Hanjour at an ATM just before 9-11-2001. So he's thinner, lacking facial hair, and lighter than his predecessor, um, the, the second imposter. But he still has substantial hair in his head, and that disqualifies him as Hanjour, who had a substantially receding hairline, almost bald. His facial resemblance is problematic too, as are most of the faces, due to the fact that in his clearer 2000 version, as people approach the camera, the smudges suddenly come up and vanish their faces. They become faceless. All right, so let's run the D Dallas Airport video now. Well, before we run it, we'll go back to it. An example of the faceless people, they become faceless. Um, that's, that's not uh, heavy makeup smearing, by the way. It's typical of what happens to most everyone when they come in, in, into view in, in, in the foreground. Someone deliberately disguised them. Historically, Hani Hanjour is one of the most traveled of all the alleged in and out of the United States, many times as he resided here on and off for the previous 10 years. Conceivably, he could have smoothly cleared the checkpoint in a matter of 30 seconds or less, but the man who appeared as the solo Arab in between the arrivals of the Arab duos um, would not have merited much attention for one very important reason. He was not Hanjour at all. Hence, challenging the integrity of the Dulles video is the fact that the FBI and the commission, having access to, like this ATM photo of Hanjour, would surely have noticed that the man dressed in dark slacks and dark short sleeve shirt does not remotely resemble Hanjour, yet they apparently tried to pass him off. From all the accounts we have of Hani Hanjour, he was slightly built, thin, gaunt, just over five feet tall. So um, the U.S. government had as its best evidence, the Dulles video purportedly showing them preparing to board a plane that they said crashed into the Pentagon. All six of these problems, however, combined to undermine the Dulles video's authenticity and corroborate its forgery. It's the flimsiest evidence upon which the entire weight of the official story collapses. No airport security video has appeared for the other flights. Therefore, no evidence exists that any of the so-called hijackers ever boarded planes that crashed on 9-11. The Bin Laden confession video forgery, I'm just going to mention this briefly. Um, everybody who's seen it can see that the guy in it wasn't him. Well, they should be able to notice it. 
The major proof the Bush administration touted to incriminate bin Laden, hijackers, and Al-Qaeda, this, this bin Laden that appeared in the, uh, the so-called bin Laden confession video, was a rotund, jolly bin Laden imposter who praised the five great martyrs who turned up alive after 9-11. However, inaccuracies and distortions of White House and Pentagon translations from the Arabic went unreported in American press. Saudi experts and German investigators like have found these translations manipulative in misleading American people. Correctly translated, the Bin Laden video, far from providing proof to support the official story, actually discredits itself and the official story. Ali al-Ahmed, director of the Saudi Institute, accurately translates Bin Laden, identifying nine of the suspected hijackers by name, Mohammed Atta, Nawaf al-Hazmi, Salem al-Hazmi, and, quote, four from the Al-Ghamdi tribe, and, quote, two others, both named Al-Shehri. Now, it's difficult to, to if, if the two that were on the original FBI list weren't on that list, it's difficult to realize how we would be doing that. And of, of these nine that Bin Laden in that video names, only five, including Wail and Walid al-Shehri, Salem al-Hazmi, Saeed al-Ghamdi, turned up alive. In, in other words, the Bin Laden imposter here is erroneously praising some men who did not martyr themselves. Okay, now I move on to um, the covert intelligence use of doubles to frame Zia Jera and, by implication, Al-Qaeda. The role of doubles shed significant explanatory light on the entire covert operation of 9-11. I'm going to let you look at the video, and while I'm talking, see if you see any uh, cars moving by in the background on that roadway that I mentioned. Without the discovery of their existence, without the discovery of the doubles, 9-11 would be an impossible riddle. According to uh, Webster Tarpley, doubles not only explain the apparently impossible, they are extremely useful in standard covert intelligence practice. Quote, if there is something the terrorist controllers need a patsy to do, but which the patsy is unwilling or incapable of accomplishing, then a double will step in to see that the necessary action is indeed carried out. Recall the Lee Harvey Oswald doubles, whose several appearances in 1963 made it seem like Oswald was in two places at once. If there were a Lee Harvey Oswald award for 9-11, it would certainly go to Zia Jarrah and his doubles. Doubles were used to frame Zia Jarrah and thereby implicate Al-Qaeda. On January 30th, 2001, a four-hour interrogation of Zia Jarrah transpired in the Dubai Emirates Airport, which is a known CIA intercept point which Jarrah, in quotes, meaning his double, simply walked into. During the interrogation, this Jarrah, the double, said that he had spent, quote, the previous two months and five days, unquote, in Pakistan and Afghanistan, where bin Laden's al-Qaeda training stronghold was located, and said he was returning to Florida. But he did not. Upon release from interrogation, according to CNN's McVicker and Farage, Quote, Jarrah boarded a KLM flight in the early hours of January 31st and flew to Europe. Someone must have inputted, quote, national security override, unquote, into U.S. government computers next to his name for, in the next seven months before 9-11, at least one of the two Jarrahs would travel to the U.S., Lebanon, Germany, and back to the U.S. without so much as metaphorically raising an intelligence agency's eyebrow. After 9-11, Investigators confirmed that Jarrah had spent at least three weeks in January 2001 
at an al-Qaeda training camp in Afghanistan, unquote. However, this itinerary must belong to Jarrah's double because, according to Arnie Krutoff's uh, Florida Flight Training Center, Jarrah, where he trained, Jarrah had been a student there continuously for the previous six months, and because the flight school there confirmed he was there in Venice, Florida until January 15, 2001, with the flight school's confirmation, we already know that the Zia Jarrah at Florida Flight Training Center could not have been the one at the Al-Qaeda camp in Afghanistan and later passing through Dubai. Moreover, the testimony of Ziad's family that he arrived in Lebanon in January um, 26 to be with his father who had just undergone open heart surgery and that he visited his father in the hospital every day until after January 30th corroborates Ziad's whereabouts and eliminates the possibility of his presence in Dubai en route from Afghanistan. So it had to be Ziad Jarrah's double, a covert intelligence operative who just waltzed into the known CIA intercept as if the whole episode had been scripted in advance. Both Emirati and European intelligence sources confirmed the following to CNN, quote, the questioning of Jarrah fits a pattern of a CIA operation begun in 1999 to track suspected Al-Qaeda operatives who were traveling through the United Arab Emirates. These sources told CNN that UAE officials were often told in advance by US officials which persons were coming through the country and, and whom they, the CIA, wanted questioned. One source provided CNN with a drawing of the Dubai airport and described how people wanted for questioning were intercepted, most often at a transit desk. U.S. officials declined to comment on whether the CIA operated this way at the Dubai airport, of course. Um, keeping in mind the purpose and historical role of the double in covert intelligence agency operations, this particularly well-prepared double, who not only supplied documentation, but also five years later, after someone had doctored the U.S. visa photo, um, compressing it horizontally and lightening the eyes expression, presumably for release in the 2006 Musawi trial exhibits. I don't know if you can see that. It, it's in the photograms that I have that are larger in the beginning of my chapter in the update. His uh, head has been compressed horizontally and the eyes have been lightened, presumably for release in the 2006 Musawi trial exhibits where he first shows up to, to uh, more closely resemble Jero's look. This operation smacks a well-orchestrated setup geared to call attention to this incident as one that would later incriminate uh, not only Jarrah but also Al-Qaeda. Through the double uh, covert operative Jarrah's sojourn and three-month stay in Al-Qaeda stronghold Afghanistan, he became the desired link that moles inside the U.S. government needed to pin the 9-11 rap on Al-Qaeda. Another piece of evidence that should have cast suspicion on this Jarrah double is in the fact that he carried a valid U.S. multiple entry visa his passport, a fragment of which conveniently horizontally compressed, it could be said by the heat that left it one-third singed, but which should have totally obliterated it. It should be said uh, through the heat partially melting, it, it turned up in the uh, Flight 93 debris field. This fragment of evidence, its identification by uh, Emirati officials in Dubai as belonging to the multiple entry visa they inspected there, combined with the fact that the person carrying this visa and passport could not have been the real Ziad Jarrah because he was in Florida and Lebanon while his double was showing up in Afghanistan and Dubai, effectively clears the accused Ziad Jarrah of involvement in 9-11 and of the U.S. government charges against him. Um, 
During questioning by Emiratis, this Jera, 26 years old, divulged that he had spent the previous months there in Afghanistan, and he had that visa, uh, the multiple entry visa. The controllers of Jara's double probably could not have anticipated the real Jara's father's open heart surgery or that someone in management at the flight school he attended would, would supply the exact dates of his presence there, especially after Jeb Bush had shown up 2 a.m. on the morning after 9-11 to personally supervise the massive confiscation of police station and flight school records by the FBI as they were loaded, file cabinets and all, into rider rental trucks and then onto a C-130 transport to be flown into the Bermuda Triangle, for all we know. <laughs> but since the controllers had apparently picked the wrong time for Jerry's double to visit Bin Laden's Al-Qaeda camp and incriminate his namesake, the plan didn't entirely work, and documentation of the existence of Jerry's double has been possible. You're listening to writer and film studies instructor Jay Kolar. Today's show, The 9-11 Hijackers That Weren't. I'm Bonnie Faulkner. This is Guns and Butter. Um, now we move on to the photographic evidence of two Ziajeras ignored by the 9-11 Commission. Okay, um, of the Jera photographs released through the media, the 1999 Lebanese passport with a circular ink stamp, these are the real Ziajera. His 1999 uh, Lebanese passport on the left, especially clear photo representative of all but one other photograph, which is the U.S. visa photograph, one-third burnt away, that was recovered from the wreckage. That passport photo shows market differences from the rest. This is the, the Ziajer I'm talking about now is the one on the left that we had earlier. Um, that passport photo shows market differences. The nose and cheeks are full with higher, well-defined cheekbones, and the hair is wavy. That's the one I call the Tom Jones look-alike. Um, another factor which calls the authenticity of the paper passport photo of Jera into question is its miraculous survival after the black box was never found and most of uh, United Airlines' 93 flight wreckage was either reduced to ashes or blown to bits or ground to a pulp. It is highly likely this passport photograph was planted. All the best evidence shows the accused Jera was framed by the covert ops who introduced at least two doubles we've been able to document. But the 9-11 Commission report never considered the documented existence of, of any Zia Jero's double in their report. Providing neither proof nor evidence of Jero's guilt, their report just assumes his guilt by association with statements like, in Hamburg, he apparently never resided with his future co-conspirators. It is not clear how and when he became part of Atta's circle. Okay, so now the best evidence that Jero was framed is he was born Sunni, but educated in Christian schools. He grew up in a well-to-do secular environment. Uh, he had dozens of friends, classmates, instructors, family, and landlords. They were all interviewed, and they all testified he was apolitical, non-religious, more a jet setter than a, than a jet pilot, uh, well-liked, outgoing, friendly, and loved to party. A friend who once led him to mosque, Abdul Rahman al-Makadi, called Jarrah a, quote, weak Muslim, unquote. Finally, all his uh, Florida flight school classmates avoided flying with Jarrah. When the word got out that he was a lousy pilot, <laughs> student pilot, the US government has never provided a flight manifest or any other evidence to show Jarrah ever boarded. Replete with innuendo, hearsay, forged documents, and fabrications, the official legend of Jarrah's US stay deviates significantly from the facts and eyewitness accounts and uses media complicity to distort his character. 
Um, there is also, for example, the investigator media should have asked why, according to the St. Petersburg Times in Florida, quote, Gerard, the imposter, already had a pilot's license in 1999. Well, they called him just Gerard, but it, it had to be the imposter because when the real Gerard had not yet attended flight school until the summer of 2000. Moreover, demonstrating sub-average skills trying to obtain one. On July 25, 2001, Gerard, who had not been getting along with Atta, this is like a couple of months before 9-11, decided to leave Florida, apparently for good, because his ticket was a one-way from Miami to Dusseldorf, Germany, to rejoin his fiancée, Sengren. Uh, from that date on, Gerard is literally not Gerard, or Gerard is not literally not Gerard, and there are increased signs of the insertion of at least one double. Although they say he was somehow persuaded to return the following month, wouldn't handlers need him close by for liquidation? That one-way ticket signaled a parting of ways, and typically when a patsy becomes uncooperative in a covert intelligence operation, the handlers are prepared to substitute doubles. Given the stakes here, they could no longer rely on the real Gerard. Other documented evidence for Gerard doubles includes the following. One, in Venice, a second residence exists for Gerard where the real Gerard never stays while attending flight school. On July 10, 2001, the double Gerahi, or Gerard with a little I after it, Ziad, renting at uh, Charles Lisa's Lauderdale by the Sea property, fraudulently produces a duplicate Florida driver's license that changes his name to Ziad Samir Gerard. That's the photo on your right. You'll notice that it wasn't the original, it's the replacement or a duplicate. And it possibly shows an original, original issue date of May 2nd, but the real Gerard didn't move to that address until the end of June. Three, compare the original Gerard Florida driver's license with its so-called replacement. Well, we can't do it because we haven't seen the original. Wait a second, we do have what's called, what's named an original, but it's the, it's the Harding Street Hollywood address. You notice now that it shows a dark man who does not at all resemble Gerard. And is uh, the Musawi trial exhibit photo in the Musawi trial exhibit number MM00196. The government exhibit pairs, there's two exhibits here, left and right, there's two separate exhibits. Well, the first exhibit pairs Gerard's dark double with Gerard's Tom Jones lookalike double. So neither which are Gerard. The second one, uh, two different Gerard doubles coexist rather precariously. Uh, the dates on the Florida driver's license suggest evidence tampering or forgery. However, the 1816 Harding Street on the Florida license was already, in fact, the dark doubles residence. Beginning on April 23, 2001, we know this because landlord uh, corroborated the use of the dark double when she said, quote, Gerard rented at 1816 Harding Street in Hollywood from April 23rd to June 23rd, presenting a German passport and a student card as ID. That was Carol, the landlord at 1816 Harding Street, as to, you know, differentiated from landlord Charles Lisa at the Lauderdale by the Seas apartments, uh, where the dark double of Jarrah shows up on June 2nd, 2001, with another alleged hijacker's double, that of Ahmed al-Haznawi. This was uh, documented, that they showed up there, was documented by Charles Lisa when he, quote, he says, he photocopied their German passports as proof of identity on June 2nd, 2001. 
But of course, all the Musari trial document shows is that incriminating photo of the dark um, Jera in a Florida license, not in a passport. They'd never, they would never provide the German passports, which was proof of identity on June 2nd, 2001, the day after Al Haznawi, the guy on your right, the double, departed Saudi Arabia with a passport stamped, quote, Bahrain International Airport, dated 1 June 2001. Coincidentally, the photograph of Al Haznawi, like the Jarrah's dark doubles, could easily have been doctored and spliced into a US visa because it was so dark, like the dark Jarrah's. After 9 11, uh, landlord Lisa said he provided the FBI with the photocopies of a Jarrahi with an I and Al Haznawi's German passports, with, which the FBI confiscated and never made available along with other evidence they found in the apartment. So at least one of Jarrah's doubles was a German national because he had a German passport. And those who have tried to obtain German passports know that it's very difficult to do this unless you are a native German. An Al-Qaeda agent or any other foreign agent for that matter would not risk outing himself by producing such a sensitive document unless he were German or working as an unwitting patsy or both for an agency like CIA. And four, after July, the Jarrah double is kept separate from the other unsuspecting patsies who would naturally recognize the substitution. For example, on August 27, 2001, Jarrah's double registers at the Pindell Motel in uh, Laurel, Maryland, a mile from the Valencia Motel, where the others stayed the same week. Jarrah's signature, that of the double, signature on the refund receipt also appears to be a forgery. Five, a radically different signature appears in the uh, September 10, 2001 suicide note to fiancé Senguin. This letter's all-too-convenient misaddressing guaranteed its surfacing in officialdom. Besides, how could he forget an address they'd both lived at for over four years, and why would anyone carefully print his first and last names on an intimate note to his fiancé? Sequestered in a German witness program, protection program soon after 9-11, the fiancé Sanguine's reaction is effectively suppressed. Seven, also suppresses the fact that the Jarrah family proffered their DNA to the U.S. government, but the FBI not only rejected it, they lied they did so. The Wikipedia site, this is also uh, very, uh, it's a pattern that I've noticed that um, of substitutions or changes after our chapter came out, and after the update in 2008, there were more changes. Um, the, the Wikipedia site had correctly stated that the Jarrah family proffered their DNA to the U.S. government to clear their son's name, and that the FBI had implicitly refused this offer, never responding to it. Then, after I had noted these facts in my update to the hidden history of 9-11, the second edition in 2008, someone had gotten into the Wikipedia site, our edition came out in July 2008, and somebody had gotten into the Wikipedia site in September 2008 and deleted this account of the Jera family offer their DNA, also broadcast publicly on Canadian CBC. When they interviewed Jamal Jera, the good uncle of Zia Jera, subsequently, the FBI Pentbomb website stated under the section entitled DNA, quote, this is the F FBI, next of kin for Zia Jera and the three other Flight 93 alleged have not provided DNA samples for comparison, unquote, an outright lie. Instead, the FBI said it went to the German BKA to obtain a search warrant for Jarrah's fiancé's residence 
My question is, why have an entire residence comb for a DNA match when you've been offered the family's DNA? Uh, and that method was pretty convenient for them because conveniently, uh, the uh, person that lived there, Sanguine, his fiance, was gone. You know, she was in the witness protection program. So there, there's another, there's a, a German connection too. Undercover CIA handlers surrounded Jera. And um, just one of them I wanted to mention, um, his name is Pascal Schreier. Uh, he, like Mohammed Atta, was best friends with uh, Wolfgang Boringer, who turned up on an island, I don't know if any, anybody knows this story, in the South Pacific. And he was arrested, not by the FBI, but the FBI uh, rejected everything uh, leading one to believe that Wolfgang was intimately associated with, with Mohammed Atta. Wolfgang uh, Boringer was uh, the man that Atta called his brother. And he and about six other uh, German uh, people that this was all in a story on videotape, videotaped by Hopsicker. It's a story of uh, Amanda Keller, um, who was uh, a live-in uh, stripper with, uh, with Mohammed Atta in uh, Venice, Florida. Well, she, she uh, was able to, to out all this information. And then we find out that, um, that one of those other associates, who was both close friends with Wolfgang Boringer. By the way, when he, Boringer was apprehended because a person, American, living on the island, just so happened to be familiar with uh, uh, Hopsicker's uh, investigative work and had seen his photograph. And uh, so he called it in, and it was picked up by New Zealand press and news, and then uh, that got out. So the, the Joint Terrorism Task Force had to go uh, and, and apprehend him. And when they showed up, uh, well, Wolfgang Boringer had a get-out-of-jail-free card, a free pass. He says, you can't, you can't uh, arrest me. I'm CIA. Well, um, there's a lot more here. I just want to give a, a, a short conclusion then. An apparent campaign continues to this day, which, uh, one, changed news reports through introducing factual errors and errors of admission, Two, altered evidence and timelines. Three, created and substituted evidence. Four, substituted other patsies to replace those who turned up alive after 9-11. Five, intimidated witnesses into, into silence or recantation. Six, blacked out real hijacker activities and whereabouts from all but local media. And seven, tampered with fabricated or hoaxed flight manifest documents and photos and videos. All these manipulations are executed to ensure the hijacker's cover story, which continues as a diversion from the real perpetrators of 9-11-2001. Focusing on the 9-11 hijackers, we have shown that the U.S. government withheld uh, crucial evidence from the public for no justifiable reason, fabricated other evidence, and confiscated and destroyed still other evidence, which would prove that story a falsehood. You're listening to writer and film studies instructor Jay Kolar. Today's show the 9-11 hijackers that weren't. I'm Bonnie Faulkner. This is Guns and Butter. At the end of the day, uh, did any of these 19 guys actually get on an airplane? That's a good question, and I, don't, I couldn't find any hard evidence to show that. Uh, the, the only thing we have is that video, and uh, if you look at it closely and you examine the faces of the... Uh, the four that were presented, you know, the El Midhar, uh, the only, that would be Flight 93, that the one that crashed um, in uh, Pennsylvania. Uh, none of them really, uh, there's no data to substantiate that any of them really are 
the actual uh, one's name by the FBI and whose photos show that they were? Um, I was fascinated by the two slides or the two pictures with the stripe move. And uh, clearly there are uh, two cameras uh, taking those pictures. Uh, have we ascertained that there actually uh, are not two cameras at Dulles? I, I, it just uh, seems to me very uh, surprising to, to see this movement of the stripe. Uh, or is that photoshopped? What do you think? What do you, how do you think they made that, that if, those two separate pictures? Okay, if they photoshopped and they'd have to photoshop the entire video, and that's pretty difficult. Um, this was released in 2004. I think it was a, a rush job. And uh, I, I think they tried to disguise it by the intervening uh, 38 seconds of a close-up, you know, zoomed in, of Al Midhar. So you wouldn't, you wouldn't remember, you know, that it was changed. That is a good question, but it's very difficult to do. They have the facilities that do it, certainly. And I think that's the reason why you didn't see the other setup, which you see on, on the left there, in the new improved version of the Dulles video, which was released. Well, they said it was released with the uh, Musawi trial documents. It's in the Musawi trial documents. You can find it there. It's a 500 megabyte. Uh, I wasn't able to download it because of the 500 megabyte. Uh, but um, that... That 2006 final version only shows the camera set up centered over that floor line, not the other one. But this, this is evidence. We have photographs which were, um, the photogram on the left is from a still taken of that video. Somebody captured it, you know, and grabbed it, and uh, researchers, investigators did that. Yeah. Uh, a follow-up question. There are quite a number of... Um, opportunities to photograph uh, with uh, security cameras uh, these individuals as they boarded the planes, but we have not seen those. Uh, why haven't we seen them? <laughs> we, we should all be wondering that at this point. I have no answer, but that the government flatly refuses to uh, submit that evidence. Also, well, the government also said that there weren't any video, there weren't any security cameras in any of the other airports, such as uh, Boston Logan, <laughs> Or, or Newark, no, there weren't any video cameras. What were you doing for? I mean, but there were video cameras with the, you know, the, the security data on them in this tiny Portland, Maine jet port. Uh, I am surprised because I have thought that uh, Mr. Collar, I think that you are an expert, an expert, who, and uh, that you have worked uh, on the base of document that you have acquired by the trial against Musawi because you have shown some document coming from Musawi trial, yes? That we have not here. So I think that it should be better to get the document that you showed us this, this morning mm. coming from the Musawi document. How do you get the document from Musawi trial? 500 megabytes is a lot to download, and my, my computer wouldn't do it. Uh, and I'm going to work on that, and I'm going, to, I'm going to really try to get it. By the way, did anybody notice any cars going by in the background? No. no? <laughs> All right. And the video, uh, other thing, I, I would like to know, you have showed you uh, some photo, and uh, in order to prove that... Uh, some terrorists 
are uh, different from the terrorist uh, who has been killed in the, uh, uh, in the attack of the, uh, the September 19. When you make a comparison between Ahmed Al-Aznawi, you say that uh, one, the, 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 the person who was killed is different from mm -hmm. the official. Well, I, I'm sorry, I have to interrupt you because none of them, we have no proof that either of these were, gentlemen were killed. They're just the, the photos that the FBI presents to us in their, you know, in the document we have both of them. But it turns out that the double here on the right showed up later, uh, I said on June 2nd, 2001. Do you think that uh, they are different person, this, this one? Well, I do, I do. And uh, another question concern the, the, the film, the, the video that you showed the airport of, uh, of Dallas, Dallas airport. Mm. You got this film, official film, from Mosawi trial. The oh. same, this is the same video, only it's a shortened version of it. We get six minutes now, you know, the, in the, well, the alleged 2006 release. When I went into the Musawi documents shortly after the, the trial, and that video was not available there, now it is. I don't know exactly when, but I'm calling it the 2006 Dulles release because that's when the Musawi you know, documents were released. I, I believe it was August 2006. Actually, though, I have no proof that, uh, that that six minutes you have there is not the original. Maybe it's just enhanced, uh, you know, by uh, technology, a, a higher uh, resolution, and that's why it's 500 megabytes. But if you spoke about the relatives of some of these uh, hijacker, and uh, there is uh, the, some relative... Of Zia Jara, right, uh, yeah. That is told that... Uh, the, the debt is different from the, the debt official. The date, the date, okay. That's corroborated by um, the evidence um, that he was at the hospital visiting with the family, uh, other relatives. They, they offered their DNA. And but that, they want to prove that uh, the debt... That they cleared their son's name. Well, you mean, I guess if you're talking about the dates that... Um, I'm saying the dates are the same, that uh, Jared's family had uh, him in Lebanon, uh, his, he was visiting his father in a hospital, uh, the same as the time when he was uh, either in Dubai or uh, coming back from Pakistan and Afghanistan. And, uh, and the same dates that he was allegedly in Pakistan and Afghanistan, he was already, uh, he was still at the uh, Florida and, flight, and so flight school. Well, by now, uh, another thing which is problematic is that the, uh, the government said that they took this DNA not from uh, Jarrah's uh, uh, remains in, 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 the, uh, in the crash site, but from a, a, a collection of remains of the people, uh, the other ones that weren't uh, regular passengers. And so it's, like, it's possible that um, somebody else got in there uh, to the apartment that was one of the other people and uh, you know, framed them. But um, it, it's, uh, it's still really um, shaky evidence, I believe. They should have gone to the family for the DNA, not to some place and say, oh, yeah, there's the DNA. You know. uh, to me, the match with what the, the entire story seems very suspect by the FBI.
Mr. Kohler, I do appreciate the tremendous effort that is evidenced here in the work that you've done, but I have to uh, have to respectfully suggest that the um, because you skip from one hijack alleged hijacker to another, and you skip from one kind of evidence to another, that you actually succeed in in the goals of the government to cover it up because it's too confusing. So uh, I commend you for your work, but I desperately would seek to have some clarity either by a, a clear narrative thread. This is the story of one hijacker. I'm going to take it through. Uh, or, uh, or both, uh, then say these are the six kinds of uh, frauds that have been perpetrated, or the six ways in which the data has been manipulated, and then, you know, make that your narrative thread. Well, uh, to answer that response, uh, I, I have a lot more material on Zia Jera and his, uh, you know, the evidence that he's been framed, the evidence that he has at least two different doubles, and there's a, 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 a pre-story to that, too, with another Zia Jera double that appeared earlier. But I didn't have time to present all of it in this presentation. I wanted to actually, I thought it would be better to get into the, for this presentation to show a multiplicity. And so you're, you're correct on that point. I, I should have focused on him. And I, I actually did in the, in the update to my chapter, in the chapter. But uh, it's, not avail it's not possible to do that in a short presentation. Something happening here. been listening to Jay Kolar. Today's show has been The 9-11 Hijackers That Weren't. Jay Kolar is a freelance writer in Lake Havasu City, Arizona. As a film studies instructor, he has taught courses in film analysis and mass media at Lane Community College, the University of Iowa, and the University of California at Los Angeles. His specialization in French film theory, semiotics, and close structuralist analysis of film alerted his critical response to the events of September 11, 2001, forcing him to examine more closely the available 9-11 footage and subsequent releases of bin Laden and alleged hijacker Last Will and Testament martyrdom videos. He authored What We Now Know About the Alleged 9-11 Hijackers and its update, The Hidden History of 9-11, edited by Paul Zaremka. The Hidden History of 9-11-2001 first appeared in 2006 as part of the Research in Political Economy series. Newly republished in paperback with updates from the authors, The Hidden History of 9-11 is a compendium of articles by different researchers into various aspects of the September 11th attacks. Thanks to PressForTruth.ca, for providing audio from the Toronto hearings. Guns and Butter is produced and edited by Bonnie Faulkner and Yara Mako. To make comments, order copies of shows, email us at blfaulkner at yahoo.com. That's B-L-F-A-U-L-K-N-E-R at yahoo.com. Visit our website at www.gunsandbutter.org. And our new world order is about to begin. You know what I'm saying? Now the 
trying to steal your life. You know what I'm saying? Look what decide yourself for peace. Give thanks, live life, and release. You dig me? 